Welcome to Profiling Criminal Minds. I'm Dan. And I'm Dr. Redmond. And we've reached the end of our long series of episodes trying to find out exactly what Criminal Minds is and what it's trying to say. Uh, So now it's time for a little fun. And that is to talk about, let's face it, the most important character, the most interesting character, and why most people are here, Dr. Spencer Reed. Yes, Dr. Spencer Reed. People love Dr. Spencer Reed. They cannot get enough of this character. Yes. That's just a fact. But of course, before we start talking about it, we have to address the concept of meta characters. Now, obviously, you've heard us talking about this on the show before. It comes up whenever there's something interesting to talk about with Spencer Reed. But in case you needed a quick definition, the idea of a meta character is that You have who the character is when they are written and when the show is being created. And then you have who that character becomes by individual decisions that the writers are making from episode to episode. So whether or not they've decided a character should be this way, whether they've consciously had a decision or setting out to write it, the decisions they make when taken in toto transform characters from what the writers and directors intended into, and even the performers, into being something else entirely. In the same way that, like, uh, when they were writing, I think a perfect example of this is Mandy Patinkin's character, Jason Gideon, right? Yeah. Now, when they created that character and created his relationship with Spencer Reed, The idea, like, they never had the idea that, well, obviously, he is using Spencer Reed to replace his own broken relationship with his son. That's not what they started out thinking. But by having him, uh, the the very fact that Mandy Patinkin quit the show and ran off created a situation where not only was Jason Gideon doing the exact same thing to Spencer Reed that he had done to his own son. But he's also doing what Spencer Reed's father did to him. Yeah. Just running off when he couldn't take it anymore. When things got hard, he split. That's exactly what... And so you end up creating this mirroring, reinforcing Jason Gideon as Spencer Reed's father on the show. Because... On two, in two different ways, he repeated his actions with his own son, with Spencer Reed, and Spencer Reed's dad's actions with Spencer Reed. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating how they turned him into his father in that way. And that was not something the writers ever intended. But the, uh, the simple decision they made, right? The simple decision they made in the episode where Jason Gideon dies to say that Reed hadn't seen him since the end of season two made this story happen the way I'm describing. Because, and I think this is the clear part, there's no reason they had to do that. Just because you can't get Mandy Patinkin on the show doesn't mean the character of Spencer Reed can't be seeing him all the time, can't be playing chess with him all the time. He could have been. It's all off camera. We only, we 90% of the time, we only see these people at work. So he could have still been very involved in Spencer's life. But that one line created a meta narrative on the show 
that ended up reinforcing this story of parental neglect that has yeah. been so key <clears throat> to the narrative. So that's what we're getting at with the concept of meta characters. And I think that this is something that happens with all, like, I think all of the characters, I would say, except for Matt, have, a, well, maybe Luke too, have a meta version of themselves, right? Something that the showrunners created accidentally while they were just making the show. I think it's safe to say that they all have something of that going on, especially Aaron. <laughs> right? Yeah, to some extent. Yes. Uh, I, yeah, I, although I, because so much of that happened in the beginning with Aaron. Yeah. Um, they might have been more conscious of what they were doing. It's possible. Um, I um, in that... terms of because that because there are those set places pieces right right and so it might have been part of you know creating Aaron and and um, they knew who they wanted Aaron to be there mm -hmm. are things that happen later on of course that that can create men and error but I think that in some ways what happens with the meta narrative. Yeah. This is what I would say is that with a meta narrative, the writers fully didn't intend to to have that. And I I think that Hotch was a character who was defined fairly clearly. I like I think most of the characters were sort of defined in the beginning. Yeah. And then things happened during the run of the show. Mm -hmm. Um but in that first year or two you did have because so often in the later episodes we're going, but didn't they go back and watch the first two or three years? <laughs> yeah. You know, because things were set in the first two or three years, then all of a sudden you get something that doesn't fit or is wrong yeah. or, you know? Um, so I think that Aaron it may have been more conscious, particularly the relationship between, you know, the, the hitman serial killer. Right. And, and Aaron, Iceman episode mm -hmm. and Aaron, right? Because that sets in stone who Aaron is. Yeah. And why Aaron is the way he is. Um, That's true. And I don't know that that ever, even when he beats the Reaper to death. he I don't know that he ever expunges that from his personality. I don't think, I think that that was a part of his personality that he was trying to keep under control because that's his father in him. Yeah. And, but he got stressed to the point and his family threatened to the point that it just all came out and he couldn't control it. Yeah. Just now, at some point, you could say he chose not to control it. Yes, that is open for debate. That is open for debate, but he didn't control it, and that is the rage buildup yeah. in him of his father that he keeps under control. And all of that is structured already in that Iceman episode. Yeah. Those last, that, that, last that last scene in the Iceman episode. With them, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I think the, the biggest, well, the, the way I would say the, the meta focus like comes in with Aaron, 
right? And this might be a bit of a stretch is, and this is entirely behind the scenes stuff. You can't believe that he would ever le- stop doing the job. Like, I don't believe Aaron would ever stop doing this job, like be able to turn it off and be able to go away and just be a father full time. Like there's this central core of tragedy that he has to do this to keep this part of himself contained and give it an outlet to do this job. And I don't know that he could ever stop. And he was forced to by, you know, network issues. Yes. And that is, that is the place where the, that is the place where the Greg, we, Greg, oh my God, the Aaron Hotchner, I'm back doing that again. Uh, the Aaron Hodgson we see diverges most clearly from the one that they've created over the run of the show. The idea that he would stay gone after he had to go in hiding from the Reaper. You know? The idea that and this not man become a sheriff retire. in some Yeah, time. exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. He would have to stay in law enforcement wherever he was. Yeah. You know, wherever he and his son were, he would have to stay in law enforcement. That's just a fact. Like, and... Because, again, the idea of society that he has built in his head requires him to, like, it's the only, it's the only actual ethical application of his personal pro- issues, right? It's yeah. the only well, way if he you can follow, do it and be a good yeah. person. Yeah, and you follow that right from the beginning, which, yes, but of course that, that the writers had to do that because he was fired. Exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting and it's really tragic, obviously, that we didn't well, get for to the see show. the show for the show that we didn't get the full it was arc of that character. Tragic for the show. Yeah, absolutely. It was a tragic tragedy for the show that we're not able to get the full arc of that character. Yeah, it's it's a real problem for the show overall. But that's just what the idea of what meta uh, like meta characters are. Let's get into who we're here to talk about, Doctor Spencer Reed. So. Okay. For you, what is the most pivotal, like, I've got my own ideas, right, about what the most pivotal Spencer Reed moment is. But, like, because there, there's so many, obviously. There's so many just fantastic pivotal Spencer Reed moments. But I, I love the moment of awareness he has in the Zodiac Killer episode. Of, like, this moment of clarity when he realizes that he had unlimited potential. As a person. Like, he could have done... like, And they give this character this moment that's saying, with his intelligence, right? With his intelligence, with his eidetic memory, with his ability to, you know, completely devote himself to tasks. Had he gone into math? Had he gone into medicine? Had he gone into research of some kind? There is no limit to what he could have accomplished. And he has this moment of knowing that and saying that and realizing that it's like, I'm pushing 30 and I'm just a cop. And, and I mean, it's actually a good episode because the whole idea of what happens to childhood prodigies is one of the themes of that episode. But the, this is why criminal minds isn't as good as prodigal son, because it's not just about Spencer Reed the way it probably should be. Um, they never, like, the writers have this parallel, they have him questioning, right, whether he's wasted his, you know, God-given abilities, whether he's wasted his potential by just becoming a cop instead of trying to fix the world, right? Mm -hmm. 
And at the same time, you've got these guy, this one guy who wants to put ba- beside his behind his Leopold and Lowe backstory, and the other guy who wants to like still stay obsessed with when they had all the potential wor- in the world as like youthful criminals. And obviously he's in love with him and blah, 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 blah. But yeah. the show never ties what they're going through, what the killers are going through with Spencer Reed's journey. Like that's entirely subtext and us like having to push it in there. Because the show never does the work to make that connection other than the one scene of him at the start, wondering if it was worth it, and at the end being like, I do a lot of good. Of course it was worth it. I do a lot of good as a cop. Right? Sure, read. But, sure you do read. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, the thing I is, mean that's my... Yes, yeah. and, and that was such a a weird episode, because that if, if any episode was to tell you that they don't really know what they're doing yeah. with their characters, that's the episode. Oh, completely. That's you why know? I focused on it. Because it's like, you yeah. watch them get so close to him. Right? They, you get so close to him understanding, oh my god, like, I had all of this potential, and what I did was I put it in service of my mother's insanity. Yeah. Like... Well, I, even if he had just gone, I don't know why I did this. Yes. <laughs> I would have accepted it because I don't know that at that point he could have. He was ready to. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. He was ready to decide that it was his mother's insanity that had made him to make those decisions. It's obviously true. Well, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying I'm not sure that Reed at that point would have been willing to sort of contemplate that particular part of it well uh yeah and i think that's why i consider that to be one of the most pivotal episodes for reed because you have this thing where he gets so close to it right but then he backs away and he's just like no my life is fine i'm fine nothing wrong and there's this tragedy to that that's at the core of reed as a person and the funny part is this is a this is a decision like we are operating and the weird part is if you didn't watch the first couple of seasons i don't know how you would think of spencer reed because our opinions of him are colored by the fisher king yes and how it's right there like and when you understand that his mother like created this myth in his head right that everything has to be the knights of the round table and ever and you know you have to be gallant and you have to devote yourself to saving people and, and it's all right there in the fisher king and then they did the fisher king episode and then they didn't understand like what they were setting up that they would have to pay off later because they rarely have the guts to come close to paying it off but we'll get into that when we get into mave uh, which is going to happen a little later on. But yeah, is there is there a moment like that for you? I, if I was to say, I mean, maybe there are, I mean, there are two moments. There, There is the whole business with um, Vanderbeek. Oh, of course. At the end, yeah. when Vanderbeek is killed and then he takes the drugs. Yeah. And that's when you know that there's something seriously wrong. And yet the writers clearly don't seem to want to follow up on that. And Mm -hmm. then, but I think it is the one with Yeltsin that. Anton Yelchin. Yelchin. 
Anton yeah. Yeltsin. Yeah. Yes. That is so <sighs> sad, mm-hmm. pivotal. Um, why? Of course. <laughs> He's fine in the FBI. Yeah. You know, which is comes from your your pivotal episode, which is later, but oh, um, later. you know, but at the same time, you know, he can't because it's not just that from your pivotal issue that he would have to deal with um his mother and his own issues. Yeah. But that from that episode, he would have to go back and realize also that he made an awful lot of pivotal errors in judgment mm-hmm. earlier on that would never have been accepted as piv- pivotal issues in judgment by the FBI. They wouldn't think that there was anything wrong with what he'd done. Nope. Particularly. Um well, especially the Anton Yelchin episode, because there's this message there, right? Yeah. There's this terrible. message that is like, you're stuck. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. Like, you're always going to be this way. Uh, like, there's nothing you can do. This is this is just a curse. This is just who you are. Right? And yeah. letting him walk out thinking that. He lets yeah. him walk out thinking that. And and partly what he doesn't realize is that that's his own situation. That's yeah. how he thinks about himself. Exactly. That there is nothing else that you can do about, that he can do about himself, yeah. so to speak. Right? Exactly right. And um, so, yeah, he, it, it, it is, it is, it is so sad. He thinks, but he, of course... Uh, lies to himself all the time mm-hmm. and we we watch i mean we've watched it over episode after episode after episode yeah you know that whether like the funny thing is is that when we talk about a meta narrative and you're right the writers don't think about this yeah particularly but they constantly put in situations where we know better. And I yeah. mean, we should talk, I suppose, in this episode <laughs> about the episode where I went when I watched it and I'm going because we'd already started talking about, I'm you know, wondering, I met a read, wondering sort of because it's pretty clear that he's the most interesting character. Oh, absolutely. From the beginning. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only the one who had the, the only one who had the potential to be. Uh, like well no not only one um let's yeah. let, face it they had real potential to do stuff with aaron if they yeah. were willing to go deep into what they said in the Iceman episode yeah but the show was never willing to do that right and they had a they had a chance to do really interesting stuff with Derek. had the show been willing for like had, had they been willing to face up to how you know his personality was constructed by him overcompensating for the sexual way he was sexually abused as a child. Yeah. Like that's his whole personality. Yeah. His overcompensation from the sexually abuse, uh, abuse he uh, uh, endured as a child. Like that's, that's who he is as a person. He is overcompensation as a person. He's overcompensation 
personified. He really is, right? And that's yeah. why we call him like the poster boy for toxic masculinity. Because it's a performance, right? Yes. And the show, I mean, the show was probably never going to admit that and go into that. <laughs> like, it could never happen, but it would have been so fascinating, right? Well, yes. And what I was going, yeah, Please. it's, it is just that when you look at the show yeah, as a whole, um, mm -hmm. you can be very, it is very clear that the, the writers, because it was set up, not in the beginning, and you really have to, you, I really do think, oh, no, let's just stop for a minute. Oh, let's okay. get back to the episode that made us wake yes, up yes. and say, yes. Yes. And that was, of course, the Anthrax episode. Yeah, it's right there. And that's, you're right, I that's the episode where you discovered the meta-narrative that this I man is suicidal. There. Yeah. I sat there and said, is he passively suicidal? And then I ran it by you going, like, this is going to sound weird. Is he, is he trying but to get himself killed? Is he trying to get himself killed? Yeah. Time and time again. And then... But that was the big one. Before that, there were a couple of little things, but they were yeah. up and down. But that was the one where that was clear mm -hmm. that he was trying. He was, he was, rec he was completely unprofessionally reckless. Mm -hmm. And why is he being completely unprofessionally reckless? And there's only one way to read the situation. And that is this man is purposefully getting yeah. himself into these situations. Well, he purposefully got himself into that situation because there was no need for it. Nope. Like you couldn't find any uh, any excuse for him to go into that the house completely unprotected. Like they yeah. know that they're looking for someone who's making anthrax. Like there's any reason to believe that he's making it in his own house. There's no reason to think he wouldn't. Right. So why are you just walking into that house? Yeah. Oh, the door's ajar. I'll just walk in. Isn't that suspicious? Yeah. Not good enough, Reed. It's not good enough. Not good enough. We're not buying it for no. one single minute. No. And that's what it comes down to. This yeah. is a man. And, and you were right. That's what you said at the time. And it had never occurred to me. And no. then I, when we were having that conversation, you look in that episode, I was like, yeah, you're right. He's trying to get himself killed. I, I, I couldn't come up with any other... Yeah. explanation he is passively subconsciously suicidal he is a man mm -hmm. who is putting himself into horrifically dangerous situations so he won't have to take the responsibility of actually committing suicide yeah. and then what i would say about the writers is the writers think oh this is a cute trope Yes, that he, and that's the thing. He becomes their Rebecca Locke. He becomes their damsel who gets keeps getting put into danger. Yeah, but they don't realize that they're just uh, because every time he gets put into danger, it's because he did something stupid and reckless and didn't tell anyone what he was planning to do. It just yeah. reinforces the narrative, the meta narrative that you discovered. Yeah, yeah. It just does. And then all the things that we learn about his family backstory and everything it, I mean, ties into it, everything ties into it. All you have to do. And then we, of course, as, as usual, we get really, 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 really constantly pissed off. <laughs> yeah. Right. When, you know, they forget. Oh God. About their, 
narrative, like as, as we all, how many times have we said, it's a friggin' drug addict. Yeah. This man is a drug addict. And so, it's not just physical. He likes that when he was on heroin, he didn't feel all of this guilt and self-hatred all the time. The time, yeah. And that's that's what heroin, I mean, spoiler alert, that's what heroin can do for you. If you have PTSD, well, you know, if you get shot up on heroin, you're certainly not going to be worrying about the things you had PTSD about. I well, mean, yeah, just that's makes, true. It just, it will, re- I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying do heroin. I'm saying heroin <laughs> will relax you and you won't feel awful about those things anymore. For that's a little people, while. Well, until the heroin wears <laughs> off. Yeah. And then why do you think they keep going back <laughs> for more? And yes, you will become physically addicted to the heroin. Absolutely, you will become physically addicted, but it starts off as a, an emotional addiction to the experience of being completely distant from the parts of yourself you hate and are angry about and yeah. can't get away from. You know, heroin is therapy in a needle, but it only lasts as long as the heroin does. You've got to do the therapy instead. But Spencer Reed, and this is again, right there in them, uh, right there into the meta narrative, he won't do like, he won't do therapy. No. Well, he doesn't need to do therapy. His relationship with his mother is wonderful. Well, one thing that fascinated me, and let's, let's get into the, the aftermath of the drug addiction. They do an episode where they put out the hook that he's going to go and join alcoholic, you know, NA, a special NA that's just for people in the Bureau, like government people, right? Yeah. And there is no evidence to suggest he ever goes back. Yeah. Right? It's like, I'm sure that there was the odd writer that wanted to continue on with that thing. And the, the thing is, they could have done important things with all of that. Exactly. You know, which is what the show was trying to do in the beginning. Yes. Was, yes, it wasn't just a, um, just a crime show. They were trying to do a few little things here and there. Absolutely. You know, trying to explain, you know, I mean, we we now have um, Prodigal Son to look at where they're doing it differently. And we always had, of course, once we saw the inside. Yeah. Okay, where you were getting mm-hmm. right that sort of long-term storytelling, idea. storytelling, and developing the character from episode to episode. Yes, yeah, you absolutely and, were, and obviously Spencer Reed was their way into that kind of storytelling on Criminal Minds, but because of whatever maybe happened, network, maybe the showrunner. Whoever wanted to keep the show just being, no, it doesn't matter in what order you watch these. You can just turn on an episode of Criminal Minds whenever and just get the full Criminal Minds experience. They were kept from doing that kind of arcing narrative, not just in storytelling, but in character development. And that is why Spencer Reed gets trapped, unable to grow and change. And yes, heal. Yeah. He gets trapped the, by the show. Yeah. The show won't let him. Mm-hmm. And, and and it is, in that sense, it is very, very sad. Oh, yeah. You know, he he definitely um, 
doesn't understand yeah. what is what is going on in himself. He is like so many other people. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of the reasons why you end up often go, taking psychology and doing what Spencer Reed is doing is you're trying to solve some of your own problems. Oh, yeah. And that's that's a classic. Yeah. It's a cliche you know? for a reason. Yes, it's a cliche for a reason. Guilty of it myself, thank you. <laughs> um, and yeah, because except that I quickly, I mean, I always realized what you were doing. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and you can't, and you just cannot um, do your own therapy. That's why you always have to do something uh, on the backs of. Oh yeah. Uh, you can't do your own therapy on the backs of your clients either. Nope. And and he's trying to do therapy on the back of serial killers. Serial killers. <laughs> yeah. He's profiling. Um yeah. okay, that's that really isn't gonna <laughs> no, work. Like the most <laughs> I, unethical and self-destructive version of therapy possible. And he's yeah. found it somehow. Yeah. That's exactly it, right. Somehow he found it. Well, no, but it's true. Like the thing you talk about, the phenomenon you talk about is something that real bad therapists do, which is they, they, you know, gravitate towards patients who are suffering from the same things they are. And they try to think, oh, well, I'll just fix their problem. And then I'll know what to do for me. That's not how it works. Yeah. And I don't even know that they do it even that consciously. Oh, no, I don't think it is. I don't think. I don't think it is conscious, but they do do it. Yeah, it's just not. You're right that it's probably not conscious, and they end up just dragging. Uh, they end up dragging their own problems into their patients' therapy, yeah. which is why, like every therapist, needs their own therapist. Yeah, you know that's I mean, just a fact. You have to know. You have to be you to do therapy. You have to be really self-aware, and if yeah. you're not really self-aware, you're going to screw it up royally. Which is the story of Spencer Reed. Yes. The smartest man in the world to be comp- to have a complete lack of self-awareness. Yep. Because Spencer Reed is brilliant, but has no idea who he is. No, because he can't. Well, I mean, that's and that's usually what it is, is that you can't face what your parents did. Yeah. I mean, it really boils down to that. That's very clear i mean that's mm-hmm. that's the whole that's the whole thing be, behind prodigal son i mean it isn't interesting if they had decided somewhere along and i think that that must have been a fight in the show about this character development versus episodic yeah oh i'm sure you're right and and um and we all know who left and we all know who won yes so um because and we're not speculating no no the woman is very clear she's very clear that that's what she wanted yeah and that's what the show was conception for the show and that's what the show became yeah it wasn't what it wasn't necessarily what the show was going to be originally but it's certainly what the show became in case it's not like I, i mentioned it earlier but yeah this is all the showrunner wanting to do a show that you could just pick up like any episode like it was andy griffith like it was law and order you know yeah you just any random episode you watch you'll get the whole experience of watching criminal minds you'll get a little little role. bit of character but not but an awful largely lot. no 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 Lar- largely not and i mean her idea was all the characters are archetypes who will yeah. remain that way forever yeah 
and the irony, of course, is that it's a show about psychology. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> I mean, you sort of sit there and go. And that's the opposite of what psychology is about. No. Yeah. And People you wonder sh- why. You wonder yeah. why I wondered whether they were all Scientologists. <laughs> you know. I get I it. Start talking about that. It does make some sense, my wondering Your weird about theory that. that. My weird <laughs> theory about that. Yeah. Is this show entirely run by Scientologists? Because they don't seem to like therapy very much. I mean, for the love of God, when he gets sprung from prison, like he's forced to go to therapy, uh, right? He's theoretically forced to go to therapy before he can get his gun and badge back. But then we don't see any of that therapy. We just see Tim Russ being like, well, you're better. Like, (laughs) is he though? (laughs) Is he though? How could you assume that he would be better be- just because he's smart? Yeah, just because he's and it smart. it doesn't work, you know? No. Smart like... people still have problems. I think at his core, Spencer Reed is the kind of person who is, like, just smart enough to be able to talk his way out of therapy. Like, to be able to convince somebody, right, that he doesn't need their help anymore. Because you see that he gets out of the therapy with William Russ without ever looking hard at anything that's going on with him as a person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he manages to get out of their, you know, board mandated or like supervisor OPR even mandated therapy without actually taking a hard look at himself. Yep. And that's not good for him as a person. No, it's not. Because he has, as we have discovered over the years, so many problems. He really does. He has so many problems. Oh, God, does he ever. And it is, um, yeah, it's, it, it amazes me that they created a, a, a a real character. Now, I would assume some of that is we we can think that some of that might be due to Matthew, Matthew Gubler. Gubler himself. I don't know how much he's aware of what's going on with Spencer. Well, that's the weird it's part. Hard, it's hard I, to know. Yeah, it really is hard to know because I haven't watched a lot of interviews with him about the show. And I'm sure yeah. that once we're done talking about the show, we're going to start delving into, you know, the side stuff, the apocrypha, the... The, the way people reviewed it, them going on Ellen to talk about the show and see how they talk about it. Uh-huh. I, literally, the only interview I've ever seen about Criminal Minds is Joe Montaigne going on uh, Colbert to talk about the last episode of Criminal Minds is going to be on. And Joe Montaigne being as checked out as I've ever seen anyone being checked out. Checked out, yeah. Having zero interest in talking about the show at all. Like to the point funny. where he isn't even able to like respond to Colbert's very reasonable questions because he's not listening to them because he doesn't care about criminal minds. <laughs> it's very funny, and I would encourage anyone to watch that. I've done it, you know, before. But I would love to hear, and I mean, we'll check to see if there's interviews out there because I would love to hear Matthew Gubler's thoughts on who Spencer Reed is. Right? Because he plays him as such, like, a damaged and tragic person. Yeah. Like, he, that's clearly a part of his... We're not reading that into it. 
Like it's in the dot, like it's in the con, like it's in the show, and it's in his performance that there is this sadness at the core of Spencer Reed. Spencer Reed, yeah, yeah, like this sadly, this this profound loneliness and un- inability. I said unability, ugh, inability to connect with anybody. Yeah, like that's his biggest issue. <laughs> the, the, the man, and again, I, I have I have nothing but respect for this pursuit. But the man learned close-up magic so he could talk to people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so he had an yeah. icebreaker to talk to people. That's why he learned close-up magic. That's obvious. It's why a lot of people who are, you know, um, social outcasts learn close-up magic. Because they're not good at co- talking to people. And spoiler alert, everybody loves close-up magic. Do you know anyone who doesn't love close-up magic? Not particularly, yeah. no. Yeah, it's weird because there's this thing that happens um, that there is one group of people who don't like close up magic. And you'll see it talked about a lot. And that is comedians and comedy writers. Like if you just based your act on like based your idea of how the world work on television, you would think that close up magic was the lamest thing in the world. Yeah. But because that's how television always displays it. But if. And ever anyone sees a magic t- t- trick in real life, they're super happy that they got to see a magic trick. And I don't know anyone. And so you're like, what is the thing? And I figured it out some years ago, which is comedy writers, stand-up comedians and comedy writers realize that if they spent the amount of time they spend writing their act, which mm-hmm. maybe 5% of the people run by, if they spent uh, actually enjoy, Right. If they had spent that amount of time, they would be a great magician who everyone would love. And they're so resentful about it. That is my theory for why only in fiction do people not like close-up magic. Yeah. But yeah, like it's it's an easy icebreaker because everybody loves close-up magic. It's just a card tricks, coin tricks. Like people adore that. And yeah. They, Even they when they know. Well, yeah. And it's, it's a trick. Because it's hard to do. And you want to know how to do it. Yeah, exactly. They know the work that goes into learning it. And it is a lot of work. It's it's a difficult thing to learn. But when you learn it, you have a skill that everyone enjoys and will impress everyone. And that's, I'm sure, why he did it. Because he was a 14-year-old kid at MIT. Well, not MIT. Where did he go? I'm blanking well, now. One of the he went yes. to one of the Ivy Leagues. Yes, he went to one of the Ivy. But it's like he's a 14 year old kid. Well, he went to more than to, one, to, I'm sure. To, oh, he did, right? To like he's a 14 year old kid going to university. He's got to do something to be able to talk to people, and what he picked was close up magic. And I kind of like that as a character note because it's never talked about in the show. But if you know the kind of people who do close up magic, who are tend to be awkward people who need an in to be able to talk to people. And you're like, you picture him, you know, alone at this university. Cause it's not like he had any friend. He didn't go to university with anyone he knew. His mother is in an asylum back in Nevada. He has no extended family that we've ever met. So he really was completely on his own. So he did something small to make people like him. And it became a big part of his personality because I swear to God, you can't actually tell me a lot about Spencer Reed other than he likes close-up magic. And he, he has a lot of books. And he has a lot of books. Yeah. 
between yeah. reading and close up magic. Like that's pretty much who Spencer Reed is as a person. Yeah. And, and it's true when you think about, okay, so what kind of movies does he like? Well, I'm not really sure I could I answer think he that. He watches movies. Well, he might go out with, with people to see oh, movies. No, no, absolutely. He and Penelope but, have like gone yeah. to the movie theater, but it's not like there's a movie coming out that he's excited to watch or something like that. Not I don't that see I've... him. No, I don't see Spencer Reed being that way at all. Well, he could, well, and he couldn't. I mean, I'm yeah. sure that he can't. I mean, he never got into comic books because I'm sure his mother never let him. No, no, no. It was all, it was all important literature at the Reed household. I think that's yes. safe to say. Yeah. It all yeah. had to be. You know, hundred best books. <laughs> and oh no, and the greatest work of like Western civilization, you know. Yeah. Going back through Ivanhoe and Beowulf. And of God. course, all of the courtly tales of knights that she was obsessed with. Because she yeah. loved medieval literature because she studied medieval literature and used it as a framework for how to understand the whole world. And we see how that turned out in the Fisher yeah. King. Yeah. No, but it's like, you think about Spencer Reed and it's like, what movie would you see him think? And like, this is a man who cares so little about movies that even though he has an eidetic memory, he massively screwed up the most famous line from Dirty Harry. Yeah. Which is such a weird scene because it's like, it's part of his character that he has a perfect memory, yet he gets the most famous line completely wrong. And you wonder, it's like, are they trying to say something with that? Because it's not a hard thing to look up when you were writing the script. Yeah. And like, who was that a mistake in the script? Or did Matt Goobler just do it wrong and they thought it was funny? And did no uh, one well, care? Oh, yeah, that is a question. Although yeah. I could I could see the writers getting it wrong and not bothering to research. And it. I was about to say, the um it's not hard to research. You can literally just load up YouTube and watch the scene and write down what he says. But as you have proven time and again, these are not people who like to research. <laughs> <laughs> these are not people who like to do research. Nope. Yeah. But no, but it's, it's fascinating because I honestly don't know if they are trying to say anything because you get this moment where it's one of the most famous speeches in the history of film and he gets it completely wrong. So maybe he did it himself. Maybe he but did it himself. But why would he yeah. do it? Why would he do it? Exactly. That's my you know? question. Yeah. Why would uh, Matt Goobler get it wrong? Again, even if he found it funny, you create this this implication that yeah. Spencer Reed is completely disconnected from popular culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's he what's created. Yeah. Sorry, please yeah. continue. No, I was gonna. Uh, no, I was just gonna say, and he, and he is. That's he is. exactly what's. Was created. He knows so little mm -hmm. about anything outside of his mother's medieval obsession. Yeah, and and whatever he studied at university. Yeah, his his intro, like his awareness of popular culture, ends in the 13th century. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, because it's like Excuse he's. Me. We know he's fascinated with that history because he inherited that fascination from his mother, obviously. Yeah. Right. We know he's fascinated by it. We know he's obsessed with it uh, because she was. But it's like you try to think, what else does he like? Now, to be fair, um, it's not like the rest of the characters on the show get a lot of stories about their interests. Right. Um, I mean, we uh, 100 uh, percent. We know 
that they are hanging out and watching movies, doing movie, uh, girls movies nights, the ladies and uh, Penelope and the rest of the la- of the revolving mm-hmm. cast of ladies are hanging yes. out and doing stuff and having movie nights and watching, you know, popular film. Like we totally believe that from them. No trouble mm-hmm. at all. Right. Yeah. And I'm yep. sure, I'm sure Aaron, you know, stumbles into watching a lot of kids stuff yep. because he has to constantly turn on things. Uh, for Jack to watch, so I get that completely, right? But it's like you can't, and of course, um, they tried to do a thing where uh, uh, they tried to do a thing where um, David Rossi liked video games, mm-hmm. but then yeah. the, they never really kept that up. <laughs> okay, and what I would here here's the here's the question you ask. Yeah, have you ever seen? Spencer Reed played Trivial Pursuit. Oh God! Be Can like you imagine? Cheating. Yeah, I know, right? Well, no, because if it wasn't, if it yeah. wasn't straight up and up history, history like and what about the horse? Yeah, yeah, history, and English, geography. English literature yeah. from the you know. But you're right. <laughs> when you start getting to the questions about movies, when you start to get into the questions about sports, like celebrities, celebrities, yeah, popular the culture is a whole yeah. thing. Like, it's one of these things where, like, you'd think he'd be great at Trivial Pursuit, but actually, he'd only be great at, like, one-third of those questions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, and it would be, like, would... surprising to him, uh, you know? It's like... And they never did that in the show. Like That it... would have been a fun... You're right. That would have been a very funny yeah. scene to do. To, like, everyone assuming that... Uh, Everyone gonna, assuming that he's going to yeah. just run the board, and then he's like, no, he's not good at Trivial Pursuit at all. Mm-hmm. That would have been he would hilarious. Get, yeah, he gets the science questions. Yeah, gets the science questions. Gets, you know, when literature is really old, he gets those questions. And again, like stuff about, uh, you know, what's the biggest city in the world, blah, 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 blah. That stuff he would have picked up when he was just like yeah. reading, reading the encyclopedia mm-hmm. for fun. But let's, 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 let's talk about Chuck pa- Palahniuk's most famous book. Yeah, exactly. He wouldn't have any idea. He's not going to be able to tell you about Fight Club. (laughs) There's no way he saw Fight Club. No. There's absolutely zero chance. He might have heard the name Tom Cruise, but. Yeah, exactly. He's not watching those movies. Jack Reacher? I don't think so. He's not reading a Jack Reacher book. He's not watching the Jack Reacher movie. That's just not who he is. And we can absolutely, and again, I think it's kind of great that even though they don't do this stuff with the characters, we know Spencer Reed so well that we can absolutely say that about him. Yeah, I, yeah, I I just. And I think it's fascinating that the show, and this is why he's, why he's such like fertile ground for this kind of discussion of meta characters is, he's a remarkably consistent character. Mm Mm-hmm. From beginning to end. Like, we t- we complain about the writers all the time, but week in, week out, they got Spencer Reed right. It's it's not all good qualities. He's, he's not a great person all the time, but he is consistent. Yeah, he, and yeah. because he is consistent. Well, as I said, I am sure that, that the idea of a trope yeah. is something that works with episodic television. Absolutely. Um, what have I, oh, I watched Death in Paradise, right? And there it is, the trope. It's always like a hidden room mystery. Yeah, locked room. And they solve it. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And and that's the trope that that is clear throughout almost every episode. 
Okay. It's impossible to figure out who of these four people did it. Could have done it. And then at the last minute, they're like, wait a minute. Yeah. And they work it out. Secret passage to. Yeah. 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 Something like that. Whatever, whatever it is, or people are lying or. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he turns out he didn't have an alibi. Oh my God. We forgot that this was happening on the day we set the clocks back. (laughs) So that. Security camera actually was an app <laughs> footage was an hour later than we realized. Yeah, you know, okay, things probably like that. not yeah, probably not that specific. But no, not that stupid. <laughs> no. Um it's a little more complicated than that. But yes, I only say that, that because is. they literally did that on one episode of Criminal Minds. Uh, but anyway. Well, yeah, well, never mind, yes, but it's Criminal Minds. <laughs> what do you expect? But anyway. Um but what happens here, right, is that as we say, the things that we looked at and going, once you've got a developed character and you're going there so passively suicidal all the time, yeah. then they think it's a trope that he does these things. Yeah. We look at it and go, no, <laughs> it serves an entirely different function in our minds. Oh, absolutely. Because we accept that this is a full yeah. character. We have yeah, created whereas, this full character right. and everybody loves for them. Spencer. Oh, no, absolutely. And you're right. For them, it's just, well, Spencer Reed just constantly gets into trouble because people like it when Spencer Reed gets into trouble. Yeah, but, and he's impulsive. And he's impulsive. But you know what? There's so much more than that going on with him. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, because it's so consistent. And again, the fact that they had the guts to in that episode, right? And it's something I never thought they would do. In the episode about um, uh, when when he's taken, and by the way, you want to like be furious with a character while he's doing something completely consistent with his character. Look no farther than Spencer Reed having his mother move in with him. Yeah. Oh no! It could only go terribly. Yep. Like this was a disastrous idea, Spencer. But we completely believe you would do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's that's where Spencer is so different yeah. in terms of character development. Unconscious character to development. development. That like, yes, it's no he shouldn't have done that. But that no. moment, right? Where and again, the fact like all of this stuff because the show at in that arc of him getting jailed and him should have actually committed murder, but that's another conversation for another yes, time. Yes, we've had that we've conversation, had that conversation already, already uh, in our in our massive episode about the end of season eleven. But no, yeah. the fact that within that the show the the writers of at least one episode was clear eyed enough to come out and say that she beat her son. And that yeah. he always, and then forgot, and he always covered for her. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Like, I mean, you can't imagine. Like, that's something that we always assumed, right? Yes. Because of their relationship and because she was so mentally ill and because he's such a wreck. The only way you can diagnose it is he was abused and it was so much more awful because of her psychosis, she didn't remember abusing him. Yeah. And he can't forget the abuse. And the fact Except the show, that he doesn't call it abuse. Of course not. But that moment when she says you were always like injured because you were always clumsy and falling off of something. And 
And friggin' Matt Goobler, there's any number of ways you could have the actor play that line. Mm -hmm. But he does the look of this, like, this tragic horror that she really doesn't remember what she did to me. Yeah. And he, like, is that the director's choice? Is that the writer's choice? Is that his choice? Somebody made a choice in that episode, in that scene, to be, for the first time ever, 100% open about how toxic his upbringing was. Yeah. For the but first nobody... time. I mean, is it is it any wonder I consider that to be one of the most important episodes of the entire show? Well, it, well that one is. Yeah. That for moment, sure. That, that moment, moment right there is one of the most important things that has ever happened on the show. Yeah. And that sounds like hyperbole, and I get that. But it really is, because it's this leg into no... We're not reading into Spencer, like, uh, into Spencer For us, psychosis. it was, no, we're not. No. Yeah, that that's what goes, okay, so yes, we're right. We're right. You know, that this, that this is a tragically abused child, mm -hmm. you know, and because he was always alone with his mother. Yep. Um. Oh, yeah, I mean, we don't even talk about, as we, as we always say, I mean, it's, is it, was he sexually abused? Was he not sexually abused? How sexually abused was it is more the question. Yeah. Not, like, well, you no, know, whether there because. was, whether there was actual molestation or not, there's yeah. at least covert abuse happening. Yeah. At least there is covert incest in that. There has to be a reason why he has never had an interest because yeah. uh, an interest, a female why he has such really. trouble relating to women and why he can't, you know, why he can't have a sexual relationship. And why he can create this dream relationship with JJ. Yeah, exactly. Because again, it's a safe fantasy. JJ yeah. is the safest person. Yep. Like she really is. And as long as it's this fantasy that he keeps in the back of his mind, oh, well, maybe someday he doesn't have to look at his real issues because it's never going to happen with JJ. But that keeps him from having to address the bigger issue. Yeah, and to have a relationship. I mean, because we can talk about the Maeve relationship. Well, and now, now yeah, now let's get into Maeve, which is fascinating because right there, it is the perfect relationship because he will never have to, like, he will never have to be vulnerable in that relationship. A, really? it's, it's a woman with A, it's his mother. It's a woman studying, like, some very, very impressive esoteric. esoteric field of study, right? Yep. So that's A. B, she is, uh, she is a shut-in, so she is locked away, and she needs somebody to save her, like, to protect her from the rest of the horrible world. Like, he has found a woman who is exactly like his mother. Yep exactly like and he's going to have this you know abelard and heloise completely chaste only in letters relationship with her yep and that's that's the key at the level like the great love of his life is someone he can never he he will never have to have physical intimacy with well because she dies <laughs> she di well, yes, because she dies but in a but way that's perfect be, for him of course that's perfect for him 
Like this woman dies. So he never has to like come through and deal with his own issues around sex and intimacy. Cause she conveniently dies before that comes <laughs> up. You know, like, Oh yeah. No, no. I'm in full agreement. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's fascinating. Like it and really they, is. Yeah. And I mean, they write this all perfectly and I'm sure that what's going on in the writer's minds is, Oh, but you know, it'll have to be some tragic thing. Right. Yeah. They, they don't think in terms of the rest of it. No, I, I just can't imagine that anybody does given the rest of the show. Like if this was a show that had some kind of, or somebody addressed some of this. Yeah. And he gets over it pretty quickly. Yeah. Well, I mean, he does and he doesn't. Uh, because when he has his, you know, psychic journey of self-discovery when well, he's dying from a brain aneurysm, he still yeah. conjures her up or her ghost visits him. You can debate that however you want. Uh, well, that's it who he tries to be up. grounded in reality, so it has to be conjured up. A halluc- yes, conjured up. Except a for the two times the devil showed up. Well, yeah. <laughs> Except for that. And no explanation. With for with no explanation, except for those two times. Oh no, wait, and and the demons who had been uh, bedeviling that guy since he was a baby, and I guess the three demons who had bedeviled. So, other than those three instances of ghosts and demons on the show, it is a very grounded show. Like, um, we we did one hundred percent understand that it was the Reaper. It was not the Reaper's ghost coming back to talk to Aaron. Yeah, he was. Uh, it was quite clear that when he had that, you know, psychic journey of self-discovery, the Reaper was cast in the role because this man is the architect of all of the bad stuff that is like all of the turns his life has taken. Mm-hmm. Right. So it completely makes sense why the Reaper would play that role there. Why yeah. the Reaper played also played that role for Spencer Reed is because they couldn't get James Vanderbeek back. <laughs> yeah. You know. It has to be the only reason. It's the only reason. You need James Vanderbeek for that scene. And he wasn't there. So it must be they couldn't have gotten him back. And the Reaper was more than happy to do that again. It was like the time where they're like, uh, when they couldn't get Hilo back from, uh, Hilo from Battlestar Galactica and Paul from uh, Dollhouse back for that episode of JJ's Mm -hmm. Psychic Journey of Self-Discovery. So -hmm. you have to have the less important character there uh dealing with her in the same way like inability to get actors back hurt them more than once i think is the key situation here and yeah. maybe it tells you something that the actors didn't want to didn't come want back. to come back well yeah that is a conversation that may be it yeah that that could be worth addressing rather than rather than that they were doing something else they just didn't want to do it <laughs> yeah that's possible well and it's interesting right because you're watching these scenes and you're like this relationship he has with her and yeah, he tries to, what do you call it? Um, there's this, there's this scene where he tries to have a, you know, he tries to go to dinner with her and he looks for any excuse to call it off. Yeah. And literally like she's, she's pulling up in a cab and he's like, um, I, there's a weird guy looking at me. I don't know if it's safe for you. You're an FBI agent. You're wearing a gun. If you think she's in danger, go and take her somewhere else. Yeah. You know? But no, he's got an excuse to send her away, so he takes the excuse to send her away. Or he manufactures, you know, yeah. like... That I that's... mean, later it turns out she the guy was, in fact, her ex-boyfriend who was stalking her. So, 
you know? Well, like, yes, I know, but... But at the time, it does feel like he's manufacturing an excuse so he won't have to pull the trigger on this. Yeah. So we won't actually have to try to have a relationship with a real live human being that yeah. isn't his mother. It's, it's interesting. And the people he works with. And the people he works with. Yeah. Like this, this, you know, uh, this makeshift family he's cobbled together. Yep. Yeah. Well, no. And, and now we'll get into the other meta narrative, right? Which is the, and it has to do with his quote unquote, incredibly close friendship with Derek. And I honestly believe, and I mean, this is the thing that it's going to sound harsh. So sorry when that this sounds harsh, it kind of feels like the Stockholm syndrome that high school people get with their bullies. Mm -hmm. That is what his relationship with Derek feels like. Mm -hmm. Where like, I mean, yeah, they prank back and forth and blah, 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 blah. But fundamentally, like the entire narrative of his relationship with Spencer Reed is his undermining Spencer Reed's manhood. Yes. Over and over and over again. And, and while they play specific pranks on each other, Spencer Reed never def really defends his manhood or criticizes Derek's Derek. toxic masculinity. Nope. So fundamentally, like, this is a relationship based on one of them belittling the other to make himself feel good. Mm-hmm. You know, to retain his quote-unquote alpha status. Yeah. That is their whole relationship. Yeah, and why he would have to do that to Spencer is the real question about Derek. But yeah. we've already sort of, I mean, we can just write that that yeah. in. Uh, yeah, but no, he puts, he puts up with it. Mm -hmm. Because he, does. he doesn't want to grow up. That's in some ways this is uh this is this is and it's probably an offshoot of the relationship he had with his mother oh i'm sure you know because his mother would have been um the arch typical bully oh absolutely you know all the time oh yeah i mean we and saw, he, she well, we yelled saw at him she, yeah we well we saw her yelling and screaming at him and and then you know immediately flipping a switch and being uh and attempting to be a loving mother again like yep. we see her do that and we have every reason to suspect that's the way she's always been. Mm -hmm. Like we have well, no reason to suspect. When she talks about, about him trying to walk a tightrope, for example. And exactly. All of the, uh, uh, there is nothing about mm -hmm. any of that that says that Spencer Lee, Spencer Reed's life was in any way easy. Let's no. put it that way. No, every part of his life. And again, he's got stories of being abused and humiliated in high school by yeah. the older kids, right? Yep. Like, he's got that. He's got, you know, like the, when, you know, the, uh, the, we see the interplay. The one time we see one person from his high school, we see the interplay where, like, the guy all these years later still thinks of him as, like, you know, the 12 year old kid, like this, we, this tiny little 12 year old kid who was in, you know, uh, uh, hanging around with 16 and 17 year olds. Yep. That's still how he thinks of him. He's a grown ass man. He's in the FBI, but this guy still treats him like he's a child and thinks of him like he's a child 
because that's the energy that Spencer Reed is putting out because like he you still, said, he doesn't, yeah. yeah, he's, he's not growing up. He doesn't want to grow up. He doesn't want to start taking responsibility for this. And so he looks for that relationship in Derek. Like you said, we know why Derek is a bully because he doesn't think he's, he's a man if he doesn't bully people. But why is Spencer Reed looking to get bullied? And that's why. And you, you really captured it. And the reason is because he wants to still be this, like, this child prodigy. You know? Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that he can still convince himself that, that this is all either good-natured mm. or this is caring or whatever because Derek and the rest of the team nobody ever calls Derek on it so consequently it has to be acceptable and yep. this is the way relationships are supposed to be well and the thing is the show accidentally and again it's it's meta right mm -hmm. the show accidentally lets you in on how toxic their relationship is specifically and this time it happened because they couldn't get an actor back, but it really works for the overall meta narrative of Reed, which is, you know, all of their things talk about being close, all of their, you know, talk about, you know, brothers forever, blah, 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 blah. The minute he doesn't work with Derek anymore, he doesn't see Derek anymore. Mm -hmm. Derek lives at most 20 minutes away from Spencer Reed. And they don't see each other ever. And in the same way that the inability, and this is the same thing that they did with Jason Gideon and the toxicity mm -hmm. of that relationship, yeah. because they could have written in that he was going over to Derek's house every Saturday and hanging out with the family and spending time with his, like, uh, his godson. But he doesn't, they don't write that in. No. They could have. We, the audience, and it's like you can say, well, well, that'll create an expectation with the audience that they're going to see Derek at some point. Well, then see Derek at some point. He's still on CBS. I'm sure CBS can come up with five minutes, like, sorry, like five hours. They don't need him one Tuesday afternoon to shoot a scene with Derek and uh, Reed getting coffee and talking about their lives, mm -hmm. you know, but you never did that. And it creates this narrative that says that the minute he wasn't forced to be around Derek, right? The minute this bullying wasn't happening anymore, he could like, he completely so forgets. Yeah. He completely forgets. They're not close anymore. Suddenly. And yeah. I think that's key for the character. Mm. Right. I think that's more key than they realize for the character. Well, and that if you look at all of his relationships, the only one that lasts mm -hmm. is his mother. Yeah. Really? You know, Absolutely. he can, he can forget all those other things. And the only thing, you know, it, it is bizarre mm -hmm. in some ways, but yes. So he had to forget that his father existed. Yep. So he has to forget that those bullies exist yep. until he's faced with one of them. But mm -hmm. all of, all of those things, right. He just, he, well, he's forced when he's growing up to, wipe them out of his memory and of course he's forced to write some of the other horrible things out of his yeah. memory and um that's what children do and so you take that if you don't work on it you just take that and move it forward well and an interesting thing is right like the way that the the leave of absence that matt Goobler took mm -hmm. right starting in season 11 
right? Where each season he's in only like half the episodes. It factors back around, like as again, it factors back around to reinforcing these themes in the character, right? Mm-hmm. And again, this is completely, this one is completely accidental. They didn't plan this, but Mm-mm. it's like, as these people, like once Derek is gone, once there isn't this weird codependent, like abuser abused relationship, mm-hmm. like he drifts out of the circle of this, uh, of this family. And he spends more time with his mother who will abuse him that way. Yeah. Like, it's weird. He can't get the abuse at work anymore because Luke sure as hell isn't making fun <laughs> nope. of anybody for their haircut. Nope. <laughs> Luke sure as hell isn't making anybody feel like less of a man. He's a great guy. Yeah. And it's like, the minute, he, like, he is so... <laughs> it is, I, it, I don't know. It, is, it works it is, perfectly. It works perfectly. I know. It, like, it ends but up they didn't perfectly. think of that. Oh, I'm sure they didn't think there of it. There is absolutely no way that, right? that ever entered their minds. But the fact is, the minute he can't, like, how do I, there's, there's no way to say this nicely, so I'm just going to say it. The minute that there's nobody at work making Spencer Reed feel worthless, mm-hmm. he has to go and find someone to make him feel worthless. Yeah. That's crazy! Like, mm-hmm. that, is, that is a crazy thing to say, but it's also completely consistent. And I don't care that it happened accidentally because there was stuff that Matt Goobler wanted to do. And so he took time off the show. I don't know what it is. I haven't looked into it, but obviously there was something going on in his life. Well, I told you, you can, he wanted to, he, he went wanted to, to do um, his film career. Yeah. His yeah film he studies. wanted to film study. Well, directing like studies. He, his directing studies. And hell, if you read my reviews, you'll see me terrified that he's grie- uh, grievously ill or something. Cause he missed a lot of the show. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, him missing a lot of the show perfectly plays into the narrative, the meta narrative of who Spencer Reed is. Yeah, I know. In it's ways weird. they couldn't. It, no, it is weird. Like it is truly weird because of the abusive relationship. And by the way, that's why Awakenings is is so such a frustrating episode because of the way it lets Jane Lynch off the hook. Yeah. You know, the way it lets Diana Reed off the hook because, yeah, well, yeah, Diana, if you hadn't been schizo, if you hadn't been schizophrenic his whole childhood, you guys could have had this healthy relationship. But you were, though. Yes. You know, and she creates this false narrative where it was all about, you know, her loving him too much and the insanity just twisted and blah, 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 blah. That's not that relationship. No. That's not what that relationship was. It's a very frustrating episode. But it's true. It's even true to her character. Oh, no, it's true to how abusers behave. Absolutely. And that's, you're right. That's the funny part about it. Even as it's frustrating, that is how abusers are. Like making him a part of it and saying it wasn't really me, blah, 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 blah. That's not really what I meant. If only I could say what I meant, you'd understand that it's really just all, I act this way because I love you. That's just what abusers do and what abusers are. Yep. Every, like everything uh, she does, everything that Jane Lynch character does in the show is a great example of the uh, these abusive behaviors. And the irony is, even the episode that's supposed to be, oh, she's better now and she's getting them on the right track, is just another trick abusers do. Yep. It's just more gaslighting from her. Yep. Ugh. 
I mean, it's the best show in a lot of ways. But it's the only way it's in which it's the best show is this brutal examination of an abused child. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you looked on it from that perspective. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the, and I want to make it clear, that's the only perspective under which this is an amazing TV show. The completely accidental, beautiful depiction of, like, what child abuse does to somebody. I mean, just making him so broken and so unable to get over any of it. Mm-hmm. And again, like, the fact that they, without realizing it, undercut the, the Leopold and Loeb episode's resolution which is, it's like, of course I'm doing the right thing with my life. It's important. Somebody's got to hunt these killers, blah, 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 blah. Well, I got to say, uh, Spencer, you missed a year and a half of work and serial killers still kept getting caught. Yep. <laughs> they didn't miss any serial killers in the year and a half you weren't doing the job. So maybe the job didn't need you as much as you thought. Maybe you needed the job more than the job needed you. Yes. You know? No one you... is indispensable. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, and that's the yeah. thing. Is, that's that's one of the me accidental messages of the show. Because the cast turnover, they accidentally come up with a sub-theme that nobody's indispensable and nobody's that important. Yep. <laughs> kind of fascinating that they accidentally got there. Yeah. Yeah, <sighs> like, that's... That's who Spencer Reed is. And, like, that moment... When he takes, when he goes to the, the guy who, whose fantasies were stolen and turned into real murders, right? Mm -hmm. This absolutely sad, broken man who was trying to not be a monster his whole life. And what Spencer Reed says to him is, you're always going to be a monster, so you might as well kill yourself. <laughs> like, this man was doing the work. Yeah. He was doing everything he could to not turn into a monster. He should be applauded and in spe instead Spencer Reed gets him to kill himself. Like <sighs> damn. You know, gets him to go through with it and try to kill a woman and get killed. Because Spencer Reed, you know, I I mean it might be your reach. Spencer Reed can't handle someone else actually working on their problems. That one's probably a reach. That's probably a reach, isn't it? Yeah. It's just such a crazy scene. Like, you, especially when you pair it with, you know, the Anton Yelchin scene. Yeah, when you, yeah, when you pair back those to back. two. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, Spencer, you were trying to tell a story that it's not your fault that you can't stand up to your mother. Yeah. You no, know? yeah. Yeah, of course. He's lying to himself all the time. I mean, he's, he's, he, I mean... I would say that there are an awful lot of people who want to accept that somehow or another you were made not. Yeah. No, you were, you were, cre you know, you were born that way, not mm -hmm. made Yeah. by your upbringing. Um, people want to do that all the time. And oh, absolutely. Spencer would want to definitely, because he doesn't want to confront that. And ultimately why the show wanted to do, wanted to confront that by having, jane lynch move in with him yep um and i really wish i could say that the writers wanted that to happen 
<laughs> and it was a confrontation because what you're seeing, you know, is that you can see you had the two, you had unsub and you had now prodigal son. Yep. Which is tackling some of those issues. and Yeah, but they're tacking it directly and they're mm-hmm. making it the theme of the show. Yeah, and I do think. In a way think, that Criminal Minds was always afraid to. Well, I do think in the beginning, though. Oh, you're right. No, I agree with you in the beginning. There in wouldn't the first... have been an Anton Yelchin episode if they weren't interested in addressing this. Yeah, interested in addressing these issues. It's just that somehow yeah. or another, um, I think the control of the show, that there was such a mess around who controlled the show. Yeah. And the direction that the show was going in. So there had to be, I mean, um, yeah. There was stuff they missed as a result. Yes. Yeah. It would be interesting, actually, to talk to the two guys that, um, or, or what's his face, who, who came up with the idea and did the pilot and was oh, never yeah. seen or heard from again, but is getting money still. Yes. And what he what he would have envisioned the show to Jeff have. Davis, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Talk with the, Jeff yes. Davis about what the conception was, where he saw the show going compared to where it did, mm-hmm. and then of course Ed Bernaro, because mm-hmm. the guy who ended up running it. Yeah. So you've got, you know, you've got two places where you can see what they wanted to do at the beginning. Absolutely. Um, but. Uh, Never mind. We may never. <laughs> we may. We may never get the answers to those questions. No, but the thing is, and I, it would be fascinating because the genius of meta characters and meta analysis is it doesn't matter what the writers meant. Yep. Fundamentally, it it that is of no consequence to what the show mm-hmm. became is what the writers meant. It's mm-hmm. about what is the story they ended up telling. And so we don't, I mean, I would love to hear from them. I would love to find out their thoughts on this. But even if we never find out, we don't need to because the evidence is right there in the show. Well, this is the novel that you've got. Let's put it this way. This is the novel you've got. Yeah. So you analyze what you've got in front of you and then you work with that. That they thought it was different, maybe. Sure. But that's not... What came out, and I don't think, and most of the writers, of course, wouldn't have had any real input into all of that. They did, they do what they're supposed to do. Well, my favorite uh, thing is, so people who uh, hate academia, right, uh, like like to forward around a post that you know is like sticking it to these pointy-headed academics. You know, it's it's a an apocryphal story from a classroom with a guy uh, saying, uh, you know, uh, English teachers, uh, English teachers saying what a book like what the themes of the book are and what the book meant and blah, 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 blah. And then, oh, my God, a guy pops up in the back of the class and it's the guy who wrote the book who says the professor's all wrong. Boom. What's the point of professors is the point of the story. And the funny thing is, if you look into the origin of the story, it's based, it is based on a thing that actually happened. And I don't remember who the author was. Yeah, I don't remember who the author was in the story, but it's easy enough to find. And the thing that gets left out of the Facebook forward is that the guy says, well, uh, who are you to say? Well, I, I actually am so-and-so and I wrote the book. But in real life, the professor then said what a professor would actually say and what's actually true as the writer, you're the person least capable 
like least sorry least well armed to say what it means yeah and that's true because in the same way that you're not allowed to do your own therapy you sure as hell aren't allowed to interpret your own art all you can say is what you wanted to accomplish that has no relation to what you actually made yeah which is what is real yes i mean and you yeah yeah and you can say I mean, I always, I always, I always talk about, there's a number of things that I have written and what I always say is that once it doesn't matter what it is, once it is out there in the ether, Mm -hmm. you have no control over its meaning. Nope. Because this means, I mean, I've had people (laughs) come up to me uh, about things and make assumptions and talk about how they understand what I've written. Yeah. Particularly like it's particularly the poetry type stuff, not so much the, well, the academic articles as well, but the poetry stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You can defend the academic articles and say, yes, okay, I can see how you got there, but you know, there's this and this as well, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You can do that. But once you get into something that is a little more free form and novels are that, Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly any type of poetry is that once it's left, you have yeah. no control over it. I have no control over how people interpret my dissertation. Of course not. And I mean, and then they can come up and talk to me about how I hate Christianity. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I can see how you could get that from, from what I've written. Absolutely. Sure. It's not, it's more complicated than that. It's not that clear. Uh, to me right but i do know and as i said even my dissertation somebody read it and said it was so hard to read and i couldn't get through it and i had to do it in more than one reading because i had to stop (laughs) and i'm just kind of going well yeah okay but the argument is clear from beginning to end right well yeah but you know i mean it was there have been weird experiences i've had over that and yes once it has left and when it once it is out and yeah. people like there are authors and particularly in the visual medium that's what's so difficult i think the visual medium is even worse than the written or, oh yeah or, or for people deciding that their thing only means one thing or that or that um no people may this is what i wanted to do but yeah sometimes you do just the opposite of what you want to do you oh, absolutely. Doing, and then they can't understand why people are reading it that way. Well, you look yeah. at what's happened to the the Wachowski, uh, Wachowski uh, sisters, right? Where they have re- like they had this thing, they had this movie about how the patriarchy is bad and capitalism is bad, and you're only by a radical socialist revolution are you going to solve anything, and that's the Matrix. There's a reason that the bad guys in the Matrix are in exclusively white guys in business suits. Like, that's not an accident. No. All of the bad guys are white guys in business suits because they are about taking on the patriarchy in that movie and American capitalism. Okay? Like, that's what the movie's about. And then, but it's such a powerful metaphor for how you're having your eyes open to how the re- world really works. That, the, that it has been completely co-opted by guys who hate women. Like, Masa- it has become the, like, the avatar, uh, sorry, not the avatar, like, the prime text for misogyny. 
That is the opposite of what they intended. But the term red-pilled literally means you realize that women are the cause of all the world's problems. Now, online, that has become, red-pilled is, uh, you know, shortcut for feminism is cancer. It's disgusting. It's despicable. It's the opposite of what they said. But because the metaphor, because the film is such a powerful metaphor and never comes out and says patriarchy is the issue and capitalism is the issue, it, yeah. it is open for that kind of appropriation. Well, yeah, it, and and reinterpretation. That's, that's the problem with. That is the problem with metaphor. Yeah. Exactly. You know, um, I like, has anybody watched the new Snow Piercer? I have not watched the Snow Piercer uh, TV series. Piercer Neither TV have show. I. Okay. Okay. So that was just a question. Well, no, but, but I mean, that's but it something is the... I, I worry that they're going to mess up the message of Snow Piercer. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. It's. I mean, that one at least. You know, yes, the train is the metaphor, <laughs> but it's very clear. Like it's yeah. not terribly, it's hard to really misinterpret Snowpiercer. Snow no, God, no. I mean, literally, there is a train that represents the class system. And the closer you get to the front of the train, the better your life is and the more power you have. But yep. No matter, but it's all just an accident of birth because the people farther up are no more exceptional. In many cases, they are less exceptional than the people at the back of the train. Like yeah. it's one hundred percent clear that a thing about how class structure is completely artificial and forced on us by the people who happen to get to the front first. There you go. <laughs> it is clear. It is one hundred percent clear what Snowpiercer means. Yeah. and the no horror confusion. of it oh god it's it's a brilliant story like yeah. it's a brilliant story and the horror of it as you say is is unbelievably intense god. and nobody gets off yeah well uh it's well i don't mean nobody movie. gets off the train i mean no nobody because yeah. because of yeah. course the guys who are in control of the back are also yeah. in cahoots with the guys yes there are the some front. of them because yeah there's always going to be at the back, right? There's always going to be someone who keeps the poor people in line to keep the whole thing going. Mm -hmm. That That's how it always has to be. I mean, for the love of God, oh, for the love of God, I was just thinking about the metaphor of them, you know, like literally eating children to survive as the at the start of the train because of the metaphor for how the young have to be chewed up to keep capitalism going <laughs> like it is it is the film with the bluntest possible metaphors but you're right it's still metaphor so god imagine a world where you watch snowpiercer and didn't get it and yet you know there are people out there who watched snowpiercer and didn't get it oh lots of people i'm sure yeah which makes this whole Spencer Reed thing kind of all the more instructive and fun because yeah. that's, and it's, that's the water we're swimming in that it's like, it's so much harder to analyze this thing, right. than it was to an analyze something with Snowpiercer, but that that's what academia is. It's finding these messages and looking and seeing 
because there is very often that is what a meta narrative is, right? Yep. And often there is in, in society, and you do something, we do things as individuals, and mm-hmm. sometimes those things have broader impacts. And you know, you just it it is always interesting reading some of these these things, and I'm going. Yeah, you look at them and and then figuring out how people take them, and it's always been that way. Yeah, well, I it's think always that, been I, I don't that way. Who said it? But it's like uh, the simplest way to understand meta narrative is that a meta narrative is the story you didn't know you were telling. Yeah, well, that's that that that's the story of Christianity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a meta narrative that certainly, when mm-hmm. they were first telling it, they didn't have a clue what they were telling. Nope. But anyway. But we're not going to get into that. So yes, that that is Spencer Reed. Spencer Reed. We have, I think, explicated this as far as we can. Yeah. Delved as far. Um, obviously, if they want to let us make a Spencer Reed TV show, we'll have a lot more to say. Uh, <laughs> I doubt they ever would. I don't And I, so. I question whether he would come back for it. But Oh my God, uh, the story you could tell with a Spencer Reed TV show. And it's only watching Prodigal Son that makes me realize that you could do. Because yeah. we joked before I ever watched Prodigal Son, we joked like, you could do a spinoff a spin-off with Spencer Reed, right? Like actually, and yeah. use as a chance to actually explore this stuff. But that was always just a joke between you and I. Yeah. Seeing Prodigal Son has convinced me that, yeah, you could 100% do that. Well, and I could even see it. Like you would have yeah. him actually having a good therapist. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, he and, has to go into real therapy for the first time in his life. Yeah. And you could see that working at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Every every episode could start with that. That's a possibility. And, and then as he was called back to consult in these cases and work with him, like Prodigal Son, you would reflect the stuff he was going through at work. Yeah. With what he was going through in therapy and you would make those connections and you would have him gradually see those connections and see how he ended up the way he is and try to move forward. Yeah. Try to find uh, And he could marry forward. that girl that he was. He could. Absolutely. At the end of season 15. Yeah. And that maybe and and the the idea, I mean, what sends one sometimes into therapy is you're going to have your own children. Exactly. So we could we could do that. He was he's going to have his own children and he doesn't want to repeat the mistakes. And he does because he's already self-aware enough now that yes, there were serious mistakes made in his upbringing. Yeah, and he and the last thing he would want would be to continue that cycle and that would mm-hmm. actually force him into therapy. Yeah. Yeah. You it know. would be wonderful. Yeah, you <laughs> like, could do it. You could you actually know. do it. You, yeah. You could. But uh, that's not what we're here to pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. Yeah, we just pitched it. Well, we did just pitch it. Yes. But I'm saying we're not here to pitch things. We're just talking about what they did on the show. And what they did on the show was, I believe that without intending it, they created one of the most interesting main characters of any network drama and even going into cable dramas. Yeah. Like he's a fascinating, like there is so much to him. And you know why? Because, and I think what happened is that for all we can complain, mm-hmm. they didn't intend to do it. Yeah. I don't think there was an intention to do this. Yeah. And it just somehow or another continued to happen for a number of reasons that we've already discussed through the show, mm-hmm. this podcast. Um, 
Yeah. And because they didn't intend to do it, because you can see other shows with interesting characters, but you already know. I mean, they use so many different tropes and, and it can come up. Like I use the good doctor as an example and I never right. watch it, but I can, I can tell you just from watching the, the clips, the spoil, you know, the clips advertising the show Yeah, that's upcoming and I'm going, Oh, well, this is what they're going to do in it. Yeah. You know, you can just, you can tell because there are certain normative things that they they're going to cover because he is the central character and he is autistic yeah so there are certain things that are going to happen oh absolutely like you know the you know the tropes you're going to see because you've seen this kind of narrative before yes and unlike unlike chuck lorry who manages (laughs) to come up with jeez he manages to come up with something different all the time he really does Anyway, uh, but that's another conversation. Yeah, uh, that's a whole other conversation. So, yes, this has been Spencer Reed. And likewise, I know it's crazy to say this, but this is our last for the foreseeable major conversation we're going to have about Criminal Minds. Yeah, because we'll go to Criminal Minds Korea. Yeah, we're going to uh, the next that's week the only hear us talking about Criminal Minds Korea, which should be a ton mm. of fun. And then after that uh, style section, the Wise Guy podcast starts up. Now, that's not to say we're not going to still talk about Criminal Minds. If there is Criminal Minds news, we're going to talk. Obviously, first off, in conversation, Criminal Minds is going to come up. Uh, but, yeah, like, uh, if there's ever Criminal Minds news, we're going to cover that. Expect as the lawsuit develops, if it goes anywhere. I mean, we just heard that it might not be approved as a class action suit. Well, I no. Here's 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 the clip that I sent you that that reported that Disney. Yeah. Okay. Is is a news funneler funneler for CBS. Okay. So. So who knows how reliable that? Yeah. Yeah. So it might be just PR. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, Disney has has filed to have it written down and she's come up with all of these. We've you, we can see the reasons why. Oh, of course. Um, they're arguing that it shouldn't be a class action suit. I would say the state may have some response to that. Exactly. And it's up to the state and it's up to the courts whether they certify as a class action. But the point is, we will keep you up to as we hear about that. We're going to go if we can finally finagle some interviews with some people from Criminal Minds. We will. It's especially hard to get the interviews now because of the lawsuit. (laughs) Except we might be able to get talk to Jeff Davis if we ever knew. Yeah, like Jeff Davis isn't getting sued. <laughs> if we no. can track him down. Edward Granero isn't getting sued. <laughs> getting sued. If we can track him down. So yeah, like there we're going to obviously we're going to try to get interviews. Uh so this isn't the last you're going to be hearing about criminal minds from us. Obviously, we're criminal minds people, but it is the last regular episode of profiling criminal minds in our project of profiling the show criminal minds (laughs) like an examination of the character of spencer reed is kind of like the last stop on that train so thank you so much for coming on this journey with us we hope you join us back here next week for criminal minds korea and of course um we really hope and i know this is a bigger ask that you come back with us for style section the wise guy podcast but i'll say it i mean wise guys the most important TV show of the past 40 years. Oh, sorry, I guess 30 years, because it started in 88. So it's the single most important TV show of the last, 
you know, 35 years simply because it invented modern television. And whole, that is yeah. what the argument of our podcast will be. And we are hoping to prove that to you <laughs> yes. by the time we get to the end of it. Uh, so if you're interested in seeing, hearing why we think this is the most important show and why, how it invented modern television, um, please join us back here for Style Section, the Wise Guy podcast. It's going to show up in your feed as an re- episode of Criminal Minds, just like this is. It's the same podcast on the same channel. You just have to not unsubscribe or not <laughs> stop checking if, you want, if you're willing to check this out. We encourage you to try it out. Remember how rough the first episodes of Profiling Criminal Minds were, was because we didn't really know how our interplay was going to be and one of us had never done a podcast before? <laughs> well, Style Me? Section, we're going to be starting... Well, I wasn't going to make a big deal out of it, but yes, yeah. you. Um, the Style Section, we're going to be starting over on about a new show, but it's with all of the experience and practice of three years of profiling criminal minds backing us up so oh god <laughs> and then Hearing but i still want to do place. the other one. Oh no obviously we're going to do the other one which we will announce once it's all together we yeah. are going to also be having a separate podcast different channel different podcast to subscribe to and that when that's ready to go you will hear about it and yes. that one that one's just fun that one that just one will <laughs> just be fun i mean and we I don't mean, want to tell anybody. Oh, no, we're not going to tell anybody. Because yet. somebody will steal it. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Um, I'm sure that one will get into deep analysis, too, because when you get us together, that just always happens, yeah. obviously. Uh, but it is a much more fun topic, and yeah. it is about pop culture, and we think you're going to enjoy it. Yep. Uh, but for now, thank you so much. Uh, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any other profiling-related shows you think we should check out, Please drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. If you're listening to this on a podcatcher or app, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review it because that is how people find out about the show. We will see you back here next week for Criminal Minds Korea. But until then, I'm going to say au revoir. And have a good week. Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network.